Hello and welcome to the My First Five Years podcast. I'm Alistair Bryce Clegg. And I'm Jenny Johnson and we're early years experts and the founders of My First Five Years, an activity and child development app for parents. And this is the podcast that will help you find the joy in parenting and also help you ditch some of that guilt and worry that we all feel. Yes, let's get rid of that anxiety. We all want to have more fun. So Alistair, we're going to chat about one of your favourite topics, Uh gendered play. Oh, it's a good one. It certainly is. You might also have already seen our Instagram live that we did, and we called it Glitter and Unicorns, Dirt and Diggers. And we were just really trying to get to the essence of the fact that there's quite a lot of stereotypical expectations Mm. around how girls and boys might play, what toys they might choose, what games they might choose to play, and the clothes that they might choose to wear, and what the role of social conditioning might play in all of that. So, yeah, there is loads of evolving research out there around the social impact of the conditioning that kind of a gendered Mm -hmm. approach can have on children and also their perception of who they are, their gender, opportunities for life and their future mental health. So it's a really good thing to have in the Parent Discussion Forum. Brilliant. Don't forget, at the end of this episode, we'll have five easy hacks that you can use for engaging in non-gendered play with your children. Plus, you can download the app for more information about how you can support your children to engage in a wide variety of play. First of all, before we get going on this really fascinating subject, let's discuss some of the terminology around it. What do we mean by gender? Okay, in the very binary sense, the gender is the sex that you are born with. So Mm -hmm. you're either in our world born as a boy or a girl, and that really relates to the genitalia that you've got. But gender is way more complex than that because you've got the gender that you're born with, you've also got the gender you identify with, which is how you feel in your brain, and there's also an element of how you express that gender, and that's usually in the sort of choices you make around the clothes you wear and the actions that you you have. So it's quite a complex thing, gender, but in its simplest terms, it's quite binary in, in terms of are you a boy or are you a girl. And whilst there is a massive subject that we could talk about here, today is all about gendered play. It's the opportunities we as parents and society encourages us to offer to our children and whether it is blue for boys and pink for girls or actually have we moved on and embraced a much broader and more inclusive world. So digging a bit deeper there, what do we mean by gendered play, Alistair? So gendered play is really about our expectations as parents and society's expectations of what particular genders we'll play with. So toys that are for boys, toys that are for girls, blue for boys, pink for girls, trucks and princesses, that sort of thing. And I think what's really important to think about is the fact that for all of us, we've been raised in a society that is really gendered. Mm -hmm. So there are conscious decisions you make as parents about the things that your children might play with or play opportunities that you give them. But there are also loads of subconscious things that are leaking out of you all the time that actually are linked to your perception of your gender. And actually, even though it's not a conscious thought, they still massively influence the decisions we make around how we let our children play. One of the questions we hear a lot, Alistair, is why does it matter? You know, what is wrong with giving my boy a truck to play with and my girl a doll? Well, I think also, historically, we would have thought that we give girls dolls because girls are more gentle and passive and have those skills and therefore they're rehearsing to become mothers. Mothers of the future. Exactly. And boys are more robust and they're going to go out to work and they're going to bring in a salary and that's all that Drive the big trucks. Exactly. So... What's wrong with giving girls dolls and boys trucks is the idea that we are separating girls and boys. We can give children dolls and we can give children trucks. And it's really not the object. It's the expectation that comes with the object and, and the, the why. that comes yeah. behind it. 
it. Mm -hmm. So if I only offer you particular types of toys that are linked to things like nurture and more sedentary behavior, I am conditioning you through the sort of play I'm offering you to behave in a particular way. Mm -hmm. And if I'm offering you big trucks or big outdoor stuff or physical stuff and mm -hmm. my expectation is boys will be boys so you're going to be loud and you're going to be robust yeah. then when you are I don't question that but if you have an expectation of a child because of their gender say a girl for example you have an expectation of the historic view of what a girl should be and they behave out of that character mm -hmm. that's quite a surprise to us so sometimes for example with boys, you will often see boys wrestling with their dads. And we'll talk about the fact that boys will wrestle. Mm -hmm. You don't often see girls wrestling, especially in a public forum, unless it's on the telly. But if your girl suddenly started massively wrestling with you in, the, you know, in your lounge, you might be a little bit surprised by that behaviour. But the reason you're surprised is because the conditioning that goes around it means you don't expect that from that gender. Yeah. Well, I'm talking as a parent of a girl footballer. So there's a child already, Absolutely. you know, massively cha challenging the stereotypes. And while she was in her younger school years, it was seen as really cool. And she was playing football with the lads at lunchtime. But now that she's that little bit older, that stopped. And it's sad. And she hasn't stopped the football. She still plays the football. But the idea that she'd go and kick the ball about as a 12-year-old in the playground has become something that's less accepted by the other children. It's really interesting. And we know there's lots of research as children get older beyond the my first five years that girls can excel in subjects like science and maths, but they reach a point often in secondary school where the peer pressure and the expectations around what a young girl, young woman is affects the choices that they make and they often drop those subjects in favour of other things and a lot of that is to do with peer pressure and expectation which is a shame because it ceases to be about potential and becomes about the society that our children grow up in. Yeah and I think there are lots of families now that are seeing the benefit of offering a more gender neutral play environment so that children get to find out who they are and express their preferences for play and what they enjoy doing and yeah. building upon those things that they enjoy because at the end of the day every child is unique they're going to love the things they love they're going to follow the passions they want to follow and, and if we can give every child the opportunity to explore as many different types of play as possible they'll find for themselves whether they love wrestling or whatever. they love you know cuddling well, the dolls or whatever it might what's be what's really fascinating for me is the science behind when boys and girls are born as in the two kind of gender types the difference biologically, physically, cognitively, between them is minuscule. Mm -hmm. And therefore, why do boys grow up and have a set of typical behaviours? And why do girls grow up and set of typical behaviours? And it's not genetic or biological. It's all to do with society's expectation and conditioning. Wow. And we are all conditioning our children constantly. Even when you, you have a baby, if it's a girl, you will get pink cards with fluffy bunnies and pink balloons <laughs> and unicorns. If it's a boy, you'll get soldiers, trucks, blue stuff. Even the fact we say pink is for girls and blue is for boys. Mm -hmm. And I know, I mean, I do lots of work in early year settings and spaces. And I'm a lover of a floral shirt. You'll know that if you've seen our Instagrams. <laughs> I'm a lover of pink. And still... You know, in 2022, I will go into early year settings and I will have mainly girls that will say to me, you can't wear pink, you're not a girl. So, <laughs> and, and we often we laugh away those phrases, but actually they are just endemic of this attitude of, you know, pink is for girls and it's a girl's colour. And even now, if I see a man or a boy wearing pink, I'm going to challenge that. And where we want to get to is no colour belongs to 
any, any agenda. Yeah, Wear yeah. what you want. Well, we have had some fascinating questions come in about this subject, so I'm really looking forward now to looking at some of those questions and hearing what you've got to say. Great. Let's get straight into some questions and we can maybe also answer them with some tips as well about how we can help offer a more sort of a gender neutral approach to uh, play for children. So um, this mum's called Jen and her mum bought her daughter a dolly at two years old, a baby Annabelle, I remember those well. Her daughter's now five and all she wants to do is role play babies, kitchens and cafes. And this mum is a little bit worried that she's massively already enforced gender stereotypes around being a housewife. And again, that's interesting, isn't it? The phrase or the term housewife because it carries a gendered element to it. I think, you know, it's here strikes the dastardly grandma again by <laughs> doll. There is nothing wrong with doll play. And Absolutely I think not. It's the, as we talked about before, it's the idea that we associate doll play with girls. With girls, And yeah. we associate doll play with boys. Now, for my boys particularly, we bought all three of them dolls when, often when their brothers were born, but we had dolls in the house. Mm-hmm. And what my boys used to do was pick their dolls up by the leg and hit <laughs> each other with them. <laughs> And they filled their prams with bricks and rammed them into our skirting boards. So Excellent. we had long, big discussions, Fee and I, around the fact that we were giving the boys these really nurturing toys, but what they were doing was showing a typical gendered play with those toys. So I think what we're thinking about as parents is balance. And there's something slightly more complex here, which is play preference. Mm-hmm. So when a child plays something, given the choices that they've got, and then adults around them affirm that play, or cooperate or collaborate in that play then that child begins to feel very good and secure and comfortable with that play and Mm -hmm. so you automatically repeat that play Mm behaviour so what we can do with our children from babies is we lull them into different cycles of play behaviour and because we are all internally gendered we lull them into play behaviours like domestic play which tends to be more linked to female gender and more physical play which tends to be more linked to male gender and the further back in the generations we go so grandparents aunts uncles they've all got expectations of gender and so therefore they really massively reinforce that kind of play because it's what they expect so you there are lots of complex things running here and what i would say this parent basically is there are loads of positives that can come out of really good domestic role play there are lots of really positive elements that that brings but it's also about trying to encourage that child to experience other Other, sorts of play yeah and not by saying today the cafe is closed there's a couple of trucks over there on with it yeah that's not going to help you've got to be a little bit more sophisticated as a parent in trying to incorporate different elements of play into the existing comfort zone that your child is in yeah so the dolly could become the prompt and the prop to use something completely different to go to the park and say let's go up that high slide there and push dolly down first and you go next yeah and get them more interested in active play using that as a prompt is that what you mean or am i misunderstanding it's exactly that and also i think for all of us it's about trying to reflect it's always interesting to do with your partner if you've got a partner not always interesting to chat to your partner about afterwards but the (laughs) idea of listening to the language that we use around our children and listening to actually when you when you do listen and tune in you will be amazed even for those of us who feel we are really trying hard not to be gendered how gendered we can be yeah so I mean even for me in a family where I was very aware of this and I had three boys and I really wanted my boys to have a really broad play experience they're all still 
now in their kind of late teens, early 20s, what you would class as being a typical boy. So they are quite bumptious, they love football, they love all that kind of physical, active stuff. Stuff that I didn't when I was growing up in their age. But even though as parents we've got some influence, mm-hmm. what you will find is once they get into the big wide world of preschool, peer school, pressure, peer pressure yeah. that has way more weight. But hopefully what you give them is a really good grounding. And even though you're saying your three boys are very typically boys, I guess what you have done in the way that you've presented lots of different play opportunities in their very early days is create an environment where they know that whatever version of themselves they want to be, that version would be welcomed. Gee, what's really fascinating for me, though, is how much influence you have as a parent over some things and how little influence you actually have over others. The pressure of society is so immense on all of us, but especially on our children, that basically what you can do is try and do as much as you can until we can change society, which is what we are all about in my first five years, is trying to really get parents to have a growth mindset, to reflect and then to push against those boundaries to make a difference. Because unless we make a significant change, then we just carry on perpetuating the myth and perpetuating the myth and nobody wins then. Okay, so this one's come from a listener called Tom and he's asking, how can I make sure that we give a more gender neutral play environment at home? Which toys are considered gender neutral and which specific brands are actively trying to promote such toys? And I think you're right. If you think about any shop you go into that sells toys, it's still pretty much here's some stuff for the girls and here's some stuff for the boys. And although it's changing a little bit, you know, how do you go about practically creating that environment at home? So I think my take on that is that all toys are gender neutral. It's the expectation and the cultural expectation that we attach to those toys. That's such a good point. And the fact that they are marketed at particular gender stereotypes. Yeah. Like when you do go into any toy shop and you have got those aisles and they'd be even, I mean, slightly better now, but labelled things like the boys' aisle and the girls' aisle. So actually, when you're creating a gender neutral play experience, it's about the expectations of the adults around the play and how you notice the play. So if you notice that your children, probably perfectly naturally, given that they are communicating with lots of other peers in society, start on a particularly gendered route in their play, you don't kind of rush in and say, stop, that's way too gendered. (laughs) You're not allowed to do that here. What you want to do as a parent is just try and gently just oppose those gendered expectations. Mm -hmm. And again, that's just about noticing. and It's about also challenging your own expectations around gender. So you can purchase very open-ended toys. Yeah, which we advocate anyway. I mean, open-ended toys in themselves are fantastic for lots of other reasons. They are, but what they don't usually do is impact on gender. So let's say I've got a little wooden figure that's just a little wooden figure with no features and no particular gender. If I am a particular child with a particular concept of gender, I might still do my Dolly's Tea Party where they're all little quiet girl dolls that are coming along to the tea party. And with that same figure, I might be doing some kind of superhero prison break buddies goodies play yeah so the actual item itself does not really affect how i play with it uh-huh. it's my play pattern so i think to create a to go back over that to create a kind of gender we can't ever be gender free we can never be completely gender free but a more challenging less gendered play experience is about how we as adults facilitate that play and challenge that play in a positive way 
We just used the term open-ended play there, Alistair, yeah. and I think we, we use that term a lot, but it probably is worth just explaining a little bit what we mean by that. Okay, so open-ended play is where you give children things that are open to interpretation. So if you give a child a cow, it's a cow. If you give them a truck, it's a truck. If you give them a wooden block, it's a cow, it's a truck, it's a house, it's a, a telephone. rocket. It's, yeah. <laughs> Whatever, so, in other words. Yeah, and we talk a lot in my first five years about that kind of using your recycled materials as part of play because a cereal box can be a million different things, a bottle can be a million different things. So mm -hmm. an open-ended play resource is one that's open to multiple interpretations as opposed to one that's just definitely a thing. And going back to gendered toys, I mean, I have three girls, but because I started to become more aware of the importance of not, you know, just buying the stuff off the girl aisle, so to yeah. speak, that if you have a mixture of toys that may have traditionally been typically boy toys typically girl toys but you're offering both of those then children are more likely to play with the options that are in front of them so if we're giving them more options they are but also you will know like i do with with my nieces and nephews like one of my nieces is massively into unicorns and everything is unicorn and yep. it becomes a particularly gendered play when actually we should all be able to play with uh, unicorns in fact my 50th birthday cake is if you can be amazed that I'm even 50. I had a unicorn cake for my 50th birthday because I love a bit of unicorn. But it's that idea that you don't want to stay, stop playing with unicorns, oh, you're not no, allowed. absolutely. We're not saying that at all, are we? We're just challenging yeah, the... That, the... The child then has a preference and they love unicorns and they love to collect all that kind of stuff. But then there's deeper psychology going on around their affirmation as a child around the fact that they want to do something that makes them feel good and some of that is very subconscious so I wouldn't say you ever have to stop a child from doing something what you try and do is just add a bit of balance so if you're mm -hmm. tipping very heavily unicorn mm -hmm. then notice that but try and introduce something that might broaden that experience with some of the experiences that might not be within the parameters of that particular play. And actually, just following on from that question where we were just exploring what toys to buy, I think as well, when you start to really understand what children are fascinated by and can get engrossed in, it's often nothing to do with toys anyway. Yes. So my third child, because I began to understand this stuff more, we bought hardly anything. Whereas the first two children, we were buying toys from toy shops and bringing them home and that was the play experience but with olivia the third it was sounds like <laughs> olivia the third you know queen elizabeth the <laughs> second olivia the third child <laughs> really we bought very little because yeah. we were using those everyday things in the home and that in itself will create typically a more gender neutral play experience it will and then also you get the return of the family the well-meaning family that buy you lots of really gendered toys because and we, we at one point had a dinosaur kingdom going on in our front room and so and you suddenly realize one day as a parent you look into your space where your toys are and realize you've got literally every pink plastic thing that was ever invented or every dinosaur under the sun so it's a bit trying to self-regulate as parents but we know and this is a whole different podcast we buy way too much unnecessary clart as we'd call it in the northeast <laughs> the children just don't need and actually some of the really valuable stuff is just in your kitchen cupboard so I guess, Alistair, one of the things that's worth exploring is why does any of this matter anyway? Yeah. And, you know, if you look at girls that are conditioned to be very girly and, and have girly expectations of, you know, being the caregiver or maybe the stay-at-home mum and stay-at-home mums are great, as are going-out-to-work mums, but also the impact that has on 
girls of the future. But I think almost more, well, sadly for me, when I listen to the statistics, that when we force boys down typical boy play, and you know that sort of big brave boy stuff and then we look at later down the line the impact that has on male suicides on the fact that young men are the most likely i think is it their biggest cause of death it is um this is why it matters and maybe just explore that a little bit am i am i over egging the pudding there or not at all that's exactly why it matters and i think when you've got very little children you don't think about that way down the line and also keep going back to the same point that although we're trying to break that mould, we've been conditioned as a society, even as a world, that those are the gendered roles. That yeah, we, this isn't we, one generation yeah, of problem, is it? And it's about expectation. So that kind of thing, that you can be it if you can see it, yeah. is really true. Yeah. And if you are brought up and conditioned through your play to only have a limited expectation of what you are capable of mm-hmm. or a particular expectation about how you do or don't express emotion, all of those sort of things, mm-hmm. then that just perpetuates itself as you grow because you look for things that confirm your internal belief system. Mm-hmm. You find people in your life that will confirm your external internal belief system. So that's when we end up in places where people aren't exploring their f- true potential because they don't feel they're worthy of that or there's an expectation by society that they won't. Oh, they're not even allowed to do that. Yeah, yeah. and the root yeah. of that is really early on and exactly what we're talking about now. Mm-hmm. And the fact that, yes, if you get involved in some domestic role play, there's loads of positives around that. If you get involved in some dinosaur digger play, there's loads of positives about that, but that shouldn't play, shouldn't belong to genders. It yep. should be belonging to children and that's where we're going to get this more well-balanced adult who will inhabit society big picture stuff isn't it absolutely alistair i also thought it was a good idea just to explore the language that we use so even I that feel like I'm pretty well educated around this stuff now and the impact of language. When my daughter started enjoying football, I used to call her a tomboy. Yeah. And actually she's not, she's just a kid that loves football. And actually people will be listening thinking, what's wrong with the term tomboy? But actually what's again fascinating about that is that tomboy can be seen as quite a positive term for a girl because they are embracing some of the more masculine attributes. Yeah. But actually if you flip it and you've got a boy who embraces more of the more feminine attributes. Yeah the stereotypical ones that's not seen as a positive not necessarily no sadly yeah so there's not even parity in how we view children who display traits that belong to the other gender and this term belong is what we need to abolish yeah yeah. because no gender owns any toy no joint agenda owns any trait it's about people just being able to self-express the authentic self and i think Again, we touched on this before, but one of the dangerous things around this is that when you don't feel able to express your authentic self because you feel that you're going to be shunned for doing so, Mm -hmm. then you don't. And that can only result in really negative mental health impacts. Let's run through five easy hacks for helping young kids explore gender neutral play. Right, number one, as a parent, think about the fact that toys don't belong to a gender. So make sure you've got a wide range of toys for your children to interact with. So number two, building on the sorts of toys that we offer our children to play with, then open-ended resources are fantastic for lots of other reasons as well, but are often gender neutral. So things like blocks or just recycled materials from the home. Three, listen to your child's play and if you can hear it becoming particularly gendered, go in and offer them an alternative and support their play differently. 
Number four, reflect and listen to your own language because you will be amazed how gendered it is and um, consider whether there are things that you could change in how you're talking to your children. And number five, find things to praise about the way that your child plays. Mm -hmm. So look for positives around, that was a brilliant story, I love the way you did that, you stuck at that really well. So the really positive aspects of how they're playing. Brilliant. Thank you so much for listening today and for sending in your questions and get in touch if there's anything else that you want to talk about on this podcast. You can post questions on our Facebook community or on Instagram and we absolutely love it when you do. And if you want to find out loads more about play, there's plenty on our app which you can download from the App Store. And you know what? We have a mix of six every day which is six new play ideas that you can do that's bespoke to where your child is on their learning journey and every single one of our ideas are gender neutral. That's right. Next time on My First Five Years we're going to be talking to our sleep expert Lauren Peacock who is going to give us some tips and advice around how everyone in your house can get a good night's sleep. I think it's going to be brilliant. Remember, you can get this podcast direct to your feed by pressing the follow button in your Apple Podcast app or wherever you get your podcasts. Just press follow.